Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy and you are listening to Heartwork, The Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al-Ghazali's Ihya ulum al-Din, The Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al-Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Qur'an, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real-life examples. At Roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Assalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to be back, alhamdulillah. How is everyone's uh, break? I don't know if I can say Thanksgiving if, if it's haram or not. I don't know. How's everyone's uh, secular holiday? Is okay? Alhamdulillah. Um, so I just got back from uh, uh, Jerusalem from visiting uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa, alhamdulillah. I got back Friday night. Um, we spent a week there and it was, uh, as, as it is every year, so this is the fourth time that I've been and as it is every time, mashallah, it's such an eye-opening experience. Um, one thing I want everyone to, to do is to make the intention that you'll visit the Masjid in uh, Al-Quds, Masjid Al-Aqsa which is the first Qibla. Um, you know, when, when you go to the Prophet ﷺ, he actually commanded and said that if you can go, you should go. And then he said, if you can't, then send, in the hadith, he said to send oil, uh, which is like a resource to keep the lanterns lit. But what was meant by that, of course, is to send resources like money, right? So if you can't go, then you should send resources. But if you... Uh, can go, then you should. And it's, it's one of the most amazing trips, subhanAllah. You know, you've been obviously, if you've gone for Mecca or Medina for Umrah, it's its own incredible journey. But Aqsa is like on a different level in its own way because the history is preserved. Like every cobblestone step that you're walking on has its own story. Um, and the people you meet there, and of course the, you know, the circumstances, the oppression that you witness, um, and the happiness that you bring to the Palestinian people when you visit. You know, you ask them, like, what, what do you need? What can we do? And they just say, keep visiting us. The first year that we went, it wasn't four years ago because of COVID. It was like 2017, I think, or 2018. Um, when we went to Masjid Al-Aqsa, you guys been to Mecca Medina before? The Haram and Mecca or Masjid Nabawi? So if you haven't, then inshallah, may Allah Ta'ala invite us all. It's, it's packed. Like if you go for Umrah, it's like if you don't leave for Salah 20 minutes before the Adhan, 30 minutes sometimes, like you're not going to be praying inside the masjid. You're going to be praying on the white marble, okay? So it's super crowded. So, and that's kind of the expectation that you have. When we went to Masjid Al-Aqsa the first time, 
there was maybe one or two lines. Like the whole masjid was empty. Completely empty. And that's by design, right? Because the Israeli Defense Force, uh, the IDF, right? Their army, right? Interesting branding tactic, calling it defense. But anyways, they, uh, they don't let young people in the masjid. They don't let any non-Jerusalemite, any non-Jerusalem citizens in the masjid. And they only let like elderly people go to the masjid. Um, and then there were not a lot of people traveling internationally to visit. And so the first time we went, we were the only people. You know, we took about 40 people. It was very conservative. Everyone was like concerned. Everyone was sort of scared. Uh, people were like sending love letters to their families. They're like, if I don't make it, you know, like you can have this or that. And subhanAllah, we went and the next year we doubled to 80, which is two buses. And this year we took 160 people with us. And more than that, what was more amazing was that when we got there, there was like 17 or 18 lines full. So it went from one to two lines to like almost now like a quarter or a third of the masjid is full. And not all with the local people, but groups from Malaysia, groups from you know, Indonesia, groups from the UK, uh, all over the place. And everyone's visiting and everyone's sort of becoming hip to the idea that this is something we have to do. And I'll never forget when I spoke to one of the, the, the women in the old city a long time ago and I asked her, like, what, you know, what can we do from America? She said, keep visiting us because we feel like the orphans of the ummah. Like nobody cares about us. Like everyone goes to Mecca, Medina and they go home. But nobody visits Jerusalem. Nobody visits Al-Quds. So I really want everyone, inshallah, to make sincere intention that you get to go visit, inshallah. Uh, the falafel is off the chain, right? <laughs> the hummus is like next level, right? So that's obviously there. And, and the reason why I posted that stuff and I try to also talk about it is because I also want us to realize the humanity of the Palestinians. Like, sure, they're under oppression, they're, under, they're living in an apartheid state, but they have so much warmth and love. You know, the first thing I heard when I, uh, when I walked into the Aqsa compound the first thing you see, it's crazy. It feels like a community masjid. It could have been like mesquite. Like you walk in, there's just a bunch of Palestinian ammuz, like, kahwa, 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 like handing out free coffee. And some people are handing out you know, tea with you know, mint tea, shayb and na'na. And some people are really, really mean. They're handing out ginger tea. And you don't know what you get until you get it. It's kind of like, it's like a playing like roulette. Like you're not sure what drink you're getting until you get it. And if you ask, it's rude, right? Because you know, Americans are like, what is that, right? He's giving it for free. You're not asking, like, what is that? So you take this tea, and it's like ginger tea, and it tastes like some sort of uh, antibiotic. Like, you know, and it probably is, right? It's probably helping you in some degree. Uh, but it's amazing, just like the warmth. And, and then on Friday before Jum'ah, they got, like, the bread and the falafel and the food, and they're having, like, a community breakfast in the masjid. And they're, like, throwing bread around, and everyone's there. We went to Maqam Nabi Musa. This has tripped me out. We went to the place where Prophet Musa is, is, is uh, in the area he's buried. Okay, this is where he's buried. And this is corroborated by the hadith of the Prophet Okay, it's crazy because in the hadith of the Prophet he says, it's the hadith of Isra al Maraj on the way back from Jerusalem to Mecca, Allah showed him some things from the ghaib. And one of the things he showed him was where Musa was buried. And he says that he was buried in the Kathib al Ahmar, like the Red Hills. And when you go to Palestine, when you visit, and you go to Maqam Nabi Musa, you see you're driving, 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 and then all of a sudden all the hills kind of get like this orange-red hue. And then you pull up. And I remember the first time we pulled up there, Sheikh was like, wow. And I was like, what? And he was like, this is exactly how the Prophet described it. Red hills. So we pulled up there, and we walk into the masjid, and there's a courtyard. And there was legit a Palestinian women's lunch happening right there. Like all, like mulkhiya and like all types of Palestinian culture was like alive and well. And they were all there and they're like tatrays, abayas. And they were probably like proposing their sons to their daughters. And like, it just felt like New Jersey. It felt like Patterson. Like, it felt like Arlington, right? It didn't feel like these people were living under the oppression that they're living under. Because they have that, that fire, they have that warmth. They refuse to be oppressed. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So I really think everyone, inshallah, make an intention to go visit. 
uh, even if it's if you're on the way there, if you're going somewhere and you're stopping like you know I don't know one of those countries Dubai or whatever, uh, if you go to that part of the world, you can easily just hop on a plane and visit for two days, right? And just go stop by, inshallah. Allah make it easy for us. Okay, so amazing, amazing stuff. I'll probably try to I'll probably share stories along the way, but um, let's keep going. Okay, so we. We are in the middle of the fourth section, or the third, the third section, which is on the rights that, the, the, the traits of being a good friend with regards to our tongue. And he said in the beginning, some things that the tongue should do, like some things you should say, and some things you should hold back from, some things the tongue should not do. And the reason why this chapter is so long, as compared to the other ones, and we're spending a lot of time on it, is because Abu Hurairah, he, he describes, I was looking at a book, and this book had a whole chapter on Hiddul Lisan, protecting the tongue. And Abu Hurairah, he said, one of the greatest delusions that any human being can have is that they don't consider their speech from their deeds. They don't consider what they say from their actions. It's true, right? Like we think of our, when I, whenever I ask, like, what, are your, what good deeds did you do today? What bad deeds did you do? Everyone starts to think of like their actions, like the more tangible, physical, you know, acted out things. Very few of us would start to think about the words that we said. We would start to think about what we mentioned. And this is why some of the great pious people, like the Salihin, they were, uh, uh, one of the practices they would do is that they would stay so silent throughout a, a given day that they would be able to recall at the end of the day every single word that they said. They'd be able to give you the transcript. Okay, in the morning, I said this to my wife. And in the morning, I said this to my dad. And then in the afternoon, I said this to my kids or whatever. They Think about, if I asked you to recall every statement you said today, how difficult that, act, that activity would be. We wouldn't be able to do it. We speak so much, right? And so the Salihin, they would, they would put themselves to the test. And they would sometimes even like count how many words they said in a day so that they didn't have an abundance of words. Because when you have too many words, then your liability is out of control. You, you can't control everything, right? So they would limit the risk. They would limit how much liability they had by keeping their mouth quiet unless they had to say something. So Abu Huraira said, don't be deluded. Don't think that your actions do not include your tongue because... The tongue is one of the organs of the body. And that's why some of the companions, they would, Abu Bakr would hold his tongue. He would physically hold it. And they would say, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm not going to hell because of this. That's not, that's not what's going to take me to hell. I'm sorry. Okay? So, very, very important to focus on uh, you know, these chapters. Alright? So, one of, the, one of the things that Imam al-Ghazali, he's, he focuses on, and we, we left off here last time, was how one of the reasons why we feel comfortable talking about people in a bad way is because of the mistakes that we see. So if I see someone do something wrong, all of a sudden now I feel like a license. Okay, I can, I can now talk about this person. So Imam al-Ghazali, in order to sort of destroy that argument, he, first he says, okay, first of all, you're not allowed to talk about anybody. Generally, it's the general rule. You shouldn't talk about people. And then he says... If you see someone doing something wrong, then you should assume what? Hmm? What does that mean, assume the best? Yeah, make excuses for it. If you see someone doing something wrong, make excuses for it, right? If someone's not praying, you're like, maybe they're traveling. Even though they're your neighbor, right? Or whatever, you're like, maybe they already prayed, you know, even though Salah just came in. Or whatever, you know, you try to create an excuse for why a person is doing something. Because in all actuality, 99 times out of 100, they probably have a valid excuse. And so Imam Ghazali says the first thing is, you should start to become comfortable overlooking the flaws that you see. And then he says, pause. Hold on for a second. He says, don't you have flaws too? Don't you have mistakes too? And he tells some stories. So one of the narrations that we left off on was how the Prophet ﷺ, he met a person who was so hyped about a guy one day, and the next day he tore that guy to shreds. So the Prophet said, wait a minute, how could you be so nice to him yesterday, but now today you're being so horrible to him? 
And so the man, he explained, and this is like a, a deep cut, this is like a, a preview into the psyche of the nafs. Listen to what he says. Yesterday I told the truth about him, and today I also did not lie. Meaning what? I, I'm just keeping it real. He said, he pleased me yesterday, and so I praised him to the extent of praise. I told you all the best that I knew about him, and today he made me upset, so I went ahead and I picked from the worst thing that I knew about him, and I said it. All right? And in his head, this person is thinking in his head, he's like, this makes sense. This is perfectly valid. If somebody makes me happy, I'll praise them. If somebody makes me sad or upsets me, I'm going to talk about them in a bad way. So the Prophet Wasallam, he, he in, a, in, in, in his way of, of criticizing, this is his way of being displeased. He says what? He says reason, argument can be sorcery. Which means what? You can convince yourself of anything. If you are looking for a justification to talk about somebody, I, wallahi, you'll find it. You'll make it, right? You will make the loophole. Well, this person, if I do this, and if it's... After every session, you know what the line you know, of questions? Probably seven out of the ten questions that I get are like asking for permission. Is it okay if I... I know that a person did this. I know that somebody did this. Is it okay if I bring it? Is it okay? The reality is that there's like this weird impulse to talk about people. Right? Imam Ghazali says it's like an appetite. Just like you're hungry, just like you're thirsty, there's like a backbiting appetite. And generally speaking, Imam Ghazali says, learn how to keep it controlled. Learn how to not indulge in that hunger, that hunger for backbiting. So the Prophet ﷺ, he disapproved of it. He disapproved of this. Okay? A Shafi'i, Imam Shafi'i, he said, there is not one single Muslim on the face of this earth who obeys Allah without disobeying Him. Every single person has good and bad. Like everyone has two angels, right? One on their right shoulder, one on their left, correct? Yes or no? Okay. There's, not, there's nobody that just has one on their right. Every, and there's nobody that just has one on their left. Everybody has good and everybody has bad. That's just part of who you are. And he says that if a person's obedience, if the good outweighs the bad, then this person is considered from the righteous. That's all you have to ask for. So don't have the standard. Don't set a standard for people to be so high. And this is, by the way, one of the tricks of shaitan. You know the class on Wednesday that Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Mikhail is teaching. One of the tricks of shaitan that I'm sure he's going to go over is this. With other people, we are so picky. But with ourselves, we're like, hey, relax. Right? Hey, 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 you didn't hear my side of the story. What about the millions of people that we've judged that we didn't listen to their side either? Right? We're so quick to assume why somebody is doing something or why they said something or whatever. And we don't give any reason. We don't give any excuse. But then when it comes to us, we're like, why aren't you giving me excuses, brother? Right? The mercy is only for us. But when it's for others, and this is the opposite of spirituality. You know, when, when a person is trying to become better and closer to Allah, you know what they do? They need to take whatever their nafs is telling them and flip it. So your nafs is saying, be hard on people, be easy on yourself. A spiritual person says, no, be hard on yourself and be easy on others. The Prophet ﷺ said, yassiru wa la tu'asiru. Be somebody who's easy, don't be difficult. Bashiru wa la tunafiru. Don't give good news. Like be somebody that when you walk in the room, people smile. Be somebody that when you walk in the room, people don't feel anxious. People don't feel scared. You know, people walk in the room and you kind of feel like, oh man, are they going to, you know, what are they going to say about me? I got to make sure I check my, like, am I, am I, do I look okay? Am I acting right? Am I this or that? Man, I have friends, subhanAllah, that are so beautiful in their character. I don't know what I did to deserve these people in my life. That they have, they have seen certain groups of us, right? When you hang out with people, they have seen people in certain situations that are very compromising. That, are, that have very, very, like it's easy to assume why somebody is doing that stuff. They get a text message from somebody that's not their wife, right? Saying, can you please call me? It's easy for a brother to be like, subhanAllah, right? Stuck for Allah, right? And just make an assumption, like, why are you talking to women? Why are you talking? To... And, but instead, they're like, oh, you know what? This person's probably helping this person out. This person's probably helping, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. There was a brother actually that his wife was planning a surprise birthday for her husband. And the story actually happened. She was like, call me, it's important. Right? 
And another brother saw the phone and he was like, <laughs> right? But then when everything came to, came, to, came to like reality, right? Everyone knew what was going on because of the birthday, the surprise birthday plan. It was kind of like, we laughed it off, but it was kind of like, man, subhanAllah, how shaitan plays tricks with people, right? You see something that's completely benign. In fact, it's even from goodness, right? We're trying to bring goodness to the guy. Well, birthdays might be haram. Anyways, so you get my point, right? All right? You get my point, okay? So don't, don't become so strict with others and easy on yourself. If you have to be strict on somebody, be strict on yourself. And be easy on other people, right? Take it easy with other people. The Prophet was so easy with people, subhanAllah. So easy. That's why he was so magnetic. There, you know, when you're tough on people, no one wants to be around you. When you're easy, everyone wants to keep coming back to you. That's why Allah Ta'ala, when He described the Prophet He described him, and so with the Tawbah, He told him what? He said that if you were harsh with them, if you were not lenient with them, they would have run away from you. Your, your, your lenience, your softness is what makes people attracted to you. Right? And this is with the tongue as well. So don't be a person that is always caught talking about people. Because that's the number one way to lose any connection you have with others. Be the person that makes the excuses. Be the person that helps defend the honor of your brother or sister to other people. When there's people backbiting and they're talking about people, be the one that stands up and just says, you know what, like this isn't the right thing to do. Okay? Or if everyone says something bad, say something good about that person to combat that stuff. Okay? So he says, just as it is incumbent upon you to hold your tongue from mentioning their misdeeds, so ought you observe silence in your heart. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. If I want to know why I'm having so much trouble containing my tongue, I have to look inside. And the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba, the lessons that they taught us that are so important, so many of them revolve around one very important practice. You know what it is? Stop thinking about people. Not in a bad way. Right? In, in, in the best of ways, stop worrying about others. Stop worrying about others. What is, when a person does a good deed and they're, and they're thinking about others, is that good or bad? When they're praying and they're like, oh, I want to pray so people can say I'm so religious, is that good or bad? When they donate money and they're like, I want to donate so people can say I'm, I'm generous, is that good or bad? The deed is not bad. What's the bad part? Thinking about others. So the hadith of the Prophet and the, the explanation of the companions is what? So many of your problems in life will go away if you stop thinking about other people. If I'm battling for sincerity, if I want to be sincere to Allah, just stop thinking about people. We sometimes do the opposite. We stop doing the good deed. And that's how shaitan wins. Shaitan's like, oh man, every time you go to the masjid, you start to notice that people are watching you. Every time you stand there, you want to, you know, usually at home you read Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? You don't even finish it. Right? That's not right, by the way, you can't do that. But when you're praying in public, you're reading your Sunnah for Dhuhr and you're like, Alif Lam Meem. You know, what is that? So Shaitan tells you, Shaitan's solution, because he's the worst, is stop doing the good deed. Just stop. Right? Because you have to protect your heart. But in that way, shaitan has won. What is the Prophet's solution? Keep doing the good deed and stop thinking about people. Just stop it. This main character syndrome you have, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody, actually is, nobody actually thinks about you. Nobody cares about you. When you walk in the room and you're imagining everyone's looking at you, I'm telling you, no one's looking at you. Okay? Nobody notices you. This is really bad for some of our mental health, right? <laughs> you are loved. Gold stars for everybody. All right? These stars in the ceiling are for you. Okay? No, but really, we need to get over that a little bit. Because it almost socially and spiritually paralyzes us. We're so concerned and obsessed with what people think. If we can eliminate that from our heart, look what he's saying. He said that hold your tongue, hold your heart back. Hold your heart back, okay? This is done by giving up suspicions. For suspicions constitute slander in the heart. So just like slander of the tongue is talking, when we suspect people, that's slander of the heart. Okay? Which is also unlawful. Keep within the bounds by not putting a bad construction on their action. 
Anytime they do something, don't assume the worst. Don't assume the worst. So long as you can see it in a good light, as for what is revealed unmistakably and before your very eyes, if it's undeniable so that it is impossible for you not to know it, you should, if possible, ascribe what you witness to your own flaw. Like, maybe I didn't see it correctly. Or maybe I forgot. Maybe I temporarily, you know, blacked out. Like, I don't know. Maybe I didn't see what I saw. Okay? He says, suspicion is formed in two ways. And this is important. Number one is perception. So what you see causes you to have a suspicion. And he says, this is something that cannot be, it's, it's, it cannot be set aside, which is a better way to say that is like, this is just a part of life. It's a part of life that when you're somewhere, someplace, you're going to see something and it's going to cause you to have a thought. Okay? And the, the, the iman of a person, the stronger your faith gets, number one, the quicker you're able to deflate that thought. And then eventually you get to the point where like the thought doesn't even make it to your mind anymore. But he says this is just a part of life. Okay, if you see someone somewhere, you naturally are going to register that until your heart becomes clean and you work on it and then you don't eventually even think about that anymore. Okay, but he says the second kind is not a part of life. This is a, this is a big problem. This is something that's within us that we can actually fix. The other part, he's like, it's not within you. It's something that's happening in society. It's in the environment. You're driving somewhere. You look to your left. You see somebody. Naturally, you might think, oh, I wonder where they're going, right? You see someone at the airport. What do you ask them? Where are you headed, right? It's like a deeply personal question. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. SubhanAllah. And Imam Azadi says this. He says, don't ask people questions too much. If you see someone going somewhere, like, don't ask questions too much. If they want you to know where they're going, guess what they'll do? They'll tell you. Right? Just check their Instagram story. You'll see the ticket on there. <laughs> Boarding pass. Especially if they get business class, you'll definitely see it, right? <laughs> you guys want to talk about the passport, the ticket sticking out, right? Just ever so lightly, right? The coffee, horrible coffee there on the side. Wheels up. <laughs> right? First time I've traveled in six years, but look at me, right? Jet setting. Okay, so I like to make fun of social media a lot. The second one, he says, is not a function of normal life, which is, it's a problem that you have. It's a prejudice. There is something inside of you. The first person, it's just a reality. The second one, you're taking every moment that you see and you are interpreting it in the worst possible way. It's just a part of who you are, right? We call this person like a cynic. And some people try to like save themselves from the... From the the evil of this by saying it's just the way I am. I'm so negative. I'm so pessimistic. Like, no. And I, 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 we, we need to pause here for a second. Islam, the beauty of Islam is that Islam is compatible with everyone on the condition that everyone wants to become better. That's the, that's the only condition Islam asks. Islam does not have a condition of gender, of age, of intellect, of size, of wealth, of there's so many, there's so many things that Islam just doesn't ask of you. The only question that Allah and His Messenger ask is, do you want to become closer to Allah? Do you want to become better? If you want to become better, then ahlan. You're welcome. Welcome. You'll become better. It doesn't matter who you are, what your name is, where you're from, this none of that. Look at the companions of the Prophet. Look at look at how different they were. Look at, look at the assortment, the variety of people he had in his circle. All of them had one goal. We want to become better. That was it. So, if I continuously defend my nafs by saying, this is just how I am, I have not yet come to that point where I say I want to become better. I, you can say, I struggle with this, Okay, so if somebody, for example, has like a quick temper, there's two ways to address that. <laughs> when the Prophet says, La taghdab, don't get angry, the person can say, Well, I'm just an angry person. Right? Exactly in that way, with that volume. Or they can say, I really struggle with my anger. What's the difference? The difference is the first person hasn't left any room for change. They're done. Like, this is it. This is who I am. Right? And then this, the, same, the first person's like, why isn't Islam working? Well, you haven't opened the door. 
you slammed it in the face of Iman and saying what? Ali ibn Abi Talib, he said that Iman knocks on your door. And he says that if the person doesn't open it, Iman leaves. Iman just wa- like Iman's like, I'm not going to hang around forever. Right? But the second person who says what? I struggle with this. I struggle with it. They are at least allowing for the possibility of change. They're allowing for that. Okay? So instead of a person saying, oh, I'm, I'm a cynic. I have trouble seeing the best in people. I'm this, this, this. Don't, don't, don't box yourself in like that. Instead of saying that, say, this is something I need to work on. This is something I need to work on. I struggle with this. I struggle with not saying bad things. I, I need to work on that. Instead of being like, oh, I speak my mind. I keep it real. Yeah, you keep it real lonely because no one wants to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> and, and you guys know what I'm talking about? There are these like weird truths. We bend it to fit, to make it sound less offensive. I keep it real with people. Well, people have found it difficult to talk to you because of that. Versus, inshallah, I really want to become a person who's able to not be so abrasive. Right? Okay, so he says, the prejudice. There emanates from them some act which could be taken in two ways. So somebody does something or says something, could be one of two ways. But your prejudice against this person causes you to settle for the worst interpretation, even though there may not be any outward sign to justify it. This is an offense against this person in the inner, meaning in your soul, something unlawful with the respect to every believer. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, Allah has forbidden one believer to tamper with the blood, the property, or the honor of another, or to hold bad suspicion of him. You know the Prophet ﷺ, at the Mount of Arafah, during the Hajj, the, the, the farewell pilgrimage, during the, end, the ending part of his life, والسلام, on the, on the pl- in the plains of Arafah, in the city, in the area of Mecca, during one of the holiest months of the year, Dhul-Hijjah, okay, he asked the people of Mecca, he says, is this land sacred? Is Mecca sacred? Yes or no, everybody? Yes. He said, is, are these days sacred? The Hijjah, the day of Arafah? Yes or no? He said, is this place sacred? Arafah, the mountain? Yes or no? Yes. He asked everybody, he says, are, are these sacred? Everyone said, yes. He said, just like this place is sacred, Mecca, nobody would ever... Talk bad about Mecca. If someone here said like even something as 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 you know uh, interpretable as like man Mecca is tough. You're like, what do you mean by that? Right? What do you mean by that? You don't like Mecca, right? You get pushback a little bit. People are very defensive because it's a sacred place. Or if somebody says like man Hajj, like there was one time people were calling like boycott Hajj, and everyone's like, whoa, relax, right? Relax, okay? We don't we don't say these things because they're so sacred to us. But listen to what the Prophet ﷺ said. He finished up that statement by saying, just like these days are sacred and this place is sacred and the Kaaba is sacred and Arafah is sacred, yes, he said, the honor of your brother or sister is sacred. Their blood, their wealth, and their honor are sacred. So just like you respect the Kaaba, you need to respect the person next to you. In the same way, you would never talk bad about the Kaaba. Don't talk about your brother or sister. Okay? So this is what the Prophet ﷺ is saying. Beware of suspicion. The Prophet ﷺ said what? That suspicion is the worst, is the, is the least truthful of what? Of reports. It's like the most lying of the lies. When a person suspects something, let me be honest with you, when you guys suspect something, how often are you right? You got like Nick Young percentages. You guys know what, you guys know what Nick Young is? Okay, let me explain to you what Nick, Nick Young percentage is. Nick Young is a person, is this, did it just die on me? Uh-oh. We are officially a Muslim organization. We're having technical difficulties. Inshallah khair, we'll get it fixed inshallah. We got another one over here. He's getting it wired. Actually, mashallah, Brother Omar came in and he, he did all this like last minute. Uh, don't tell him it didn't work, he'll feel bad. But he did that because we had a program tonight. What I mean by Nick Young percentages is this. When we suspect something, we're right very infrequently, like one time out of like 50. But that one time convinces us that it's okay to be suspicious. Like just that one time. 
when the other 49 times we were wrong, right? So we don't let that happen to us. So he says, beware of suspicion. It's the most untruthful of reports. Why? It leads to prying and spying. Don't pry on people. Don't spy on people. How do you stop that? Don't suspect them, okay? Concealing faults, feigning ignorance, overlooking the mistakes. This is the mark of truly religious people. Truly pious people, they overlook things. They don't notice things. They don't point out flaws. Have any of you ever had a flaw of yours pointed out in the masjid before? Or somewhere in public? Right? Salaam alaikum. Waikum salam. Your shorts. Your shorts, brother. You're like, no, no, my name's Abdurrahman. Yeah, your shorts. Right? Sisters, you ever had the hijab fixed? Right? The, the jinn behind you, and then you realize it's just an auntie, right? I was praying in England one time, and I just felt this plastic topi on top of my head. Just placed gently, with such care, like tenderness. That man was a father, for sure. That was not the hands of a single man. That was a man who had children. He just placed a topi on my head like this, right? And I was just like, this is disgusting. Like, the germaphobe in me is freaking out, Okay? The, again, and we, we have, you know, we, we overlook and we're like, you know, it's fine. Like, the community is a, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place, different types of people, it's fine. But sometimes, when you see a mistake, the best thing to do is to not say anything at all. Sometimes it's just the best thing to do. If you see somebody make a mistake or in, in the wrong, the best thing to do is sometimes just kind of be like, okay. Now, if you see it again and again and again, then maybe if you're close to that person, you have a relationship, you can go, you can approach them, you know, take them out for coffee or whatever, and you can maybe try to breach that conversation. But there is no space in this religious tradition for people to all be deputies of Sharia, walking around every time you see something incorrect, now you have to point it out. This causes... A very, it, it tears apart the community at its very threads. At its very threads. Okay? So he says, this is the mark of religious people. You have sufficient notice of the perfect degree in concealing what is ugly and revealing what is good in the prayer that the Prophet ﷺ made when he said, O oh you, Allah, O oh you who reveal the beautiful and you conceal the ugly. Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, one of his names is As-Sattar. Right? The one who conceals. The one who hides. One of the things we need to ask for on the Day of Judgment is Allah Ta'ala to give us satr. You know what that means? Like hide all of our bad deeds. Don't show our, our record. Don't show our, our, our record with people. Because we don't want all those mistakes we've made to be public. Allah Ta'ala hid everything that we did from everybody. And look at what He says. He says, what is desirable in the, in the sight of Allah is that we try our best to model our character after His beautiful names. So Allah is Al-Kareem, He's the generous, so what should we be? Generous. Allah is Al-Rahman, the most merciful, what should we be? Merciful. Allah Ta'ala is the one who is what? He's the most just, so we should be what? Just. So He says, Allah hides other people's sins, so you should do that too. Don't be the person that says, you know what, I'm going to reveal other people's sins. No. He says what? Forgive people's sins, veil their mistakes, be indulgent, be compassionate towards the creatures of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. Just like Allah Ta'ala is indulgent towards you. There's a story he shares here of Isa salam. One time Isa was with his disciples, the Hawariyun. And he said, he asked them a question. He said, how would you feel if you were walking by and there was a person sleeping? And all of a sudden a gust of wind came and it blew their clothes off of them. He said, how would you feel? And all of the disciples said, well we would rush to help them. We would rush and gather their clothes and cover them back up. Like it's embarrassing for a person to be exposed. He says, would you, would you take the clothes and continue to pull it away and throw it off? And they said, no, no, no. That's like an evil thing to do. And he says, then why do you talk bad about people? Why do you expose their sins? If you don't expose their physical bodies, don't expose their sins either. Okay? He then continues, Imam Ghazali says, he says that you must know that a man's belief is incomplete as long as they do not wish for their brother what they wish for themselves. The Prophet ﷺ said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسي. Your belief is not complete until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. And this includes protecting yourself, protecting your honor. Okay? He says that, 
how can you expect of others what you don't give to them? This is not true belief. This is not true belief, okay? Uh, all right, now he talks about why people do this. He says that one of the reasons why people expose others, what do you guys think? Why do people expose others? Why do we talk bad about people? Huh? Feel better about yourself? Yeah. Focus on others instead of you. What else? Projecting. What do you mean? That's what that's not doing. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, very good. SubhanAllah. This is actually one of the, some of the Salihin, they said this. They basically said that all the evil you see around you, if you see it like in a really, really deep way, you can't see any khair at all, then they say that's a sign that you have that. Like if all you can see, oh, this person, they like showing off. Well, maybe you like showing off, and that's why you're so good at recognizing it, right? Because really pure people, they see good in everybody. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, like he was so stunned sometimes to meet some people that were so evil, and they were like really embarrassed to meet him, and he was like, no, you're, you're not so bad. And they're like, no, we're really bad. And he's like, no, you're fine. And they're like, no, we're not. Because the Prophet ﷺ was the purest of hearts, so he saw the good in everybody. Even when they didn't see it in themselves. He saw it. Right? So projection is a serious thing. If I see that somebody, if this is, if this is something that, that, that irritates me irrationally about this person, like I'm very bothered by it, okay? Then I have to ask myself, like maybe this is something I, that I have internally as well. And it's irritating me because I'm so intimately familiar with it. Okay? What else? What's another reason why? Nothing better to talk about. Very good. And this is another example of why sometimes being quiet is just the best solution. Right? The Prophet said, just how many problems in the world would be solved if people just said good or were quiet? Right? Say good or be quiet. Imam Ghazali says, some of you are jealous. Some of you have envy of other people. And he says, the envious person, their heart is full of filth. Their heart is full of what? Filth. And he says, when they start to display that envy, he says the filth starts to pour out of their heart, and you can see it. You can see it in every which way. I told this story before, but I'll never forget. One of the moments where I realized what envy can do. And this is why it's very, very important. I don't want to become that guy, but I'll, I'll take a moment. Can I become that guy? Okay. Let me get into that guy mode. Hold on, Okay. I'm not trying to send everybody home scared, but be very, very, be, be a little bit more careful with what you share about your life. Just be careful. Just be careful. Okay? I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make everyone paranoid. Looking at your friends, you're like, right? No. Inshallah, everyone wishes the best for you. Okay? But, let me, let me say it like my mother taught me when I was younger. By the way, she's coming next week and she says she wants to, she wants to give a lecture. So let's see what happens. Okay? No, no, no. Was, yeah, maybe you'll like it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's different. Uh, no, it'll be amazing. You know what she says? She, my mom says this. It's a really beautiful way of saying it. She says, don't test people's ability to be patient with their envy. Don't test them. Like, a lot of us can handle it. You know what I mean? A lot of us can handle seeing something that we want or whatever, and we can be patient. But when it's so, when it's so much, and it's flaunted so extensively, so frequently, it, become, it wears away. You know what I mean? And I can only imagine, for example, if somebody, for example... I, I hate to give like real life examples, but this is, I mean, this is, it's hard work. We got to be real. If somebody wants to get married and all they're seeing on Instagram is posts of weddings after weddings after weddings after weddings, after a certain point, it might become difficult for them to not, to, to feel happy for the couple and to not start thinking like, why isn't that me? You know what I mean? If somebody's trying to find a job and all they see on LinkedIn is like, oh, just got a new position, just did that, right? <laughs> High five, great job, Toby. Like, you know, like, <laughs> if that is all they're seeing and they're applying and they're not getting it, they're not getting the positions that they want and they're seeing like, again, 
we expect and we hope that Allah enables all of our hearts to be good and be happy for people. But every person has their vulnerabilities. And we have to be aware of that. Now, I'm not saying that we should all become recluse and we should go hide. And if somebody says, hey, is it, how's your life? You're like, it sucks. <laughs> Nothing good ever happens to me, right? No envy stuff here. Like, ah, if you envy me, your life's going to suck. Like, no, I'm not saying that. But I do think that the scale is tipped a little bit too far the other direction, right? So on one side, there's like a weird paranoia, like I'm not going to share anything good. I'm not going to, you know, people start to get really, really like kind of shady about like what's going on in their life. You know, the brother who gets married, you didn't know about it. Until <laughs> he shows up with a baby, you're like, Where, who's that? <laughs> like my son. Like what? Like when did you get married? Hopefully more than, you know, nine months ago. He's like, yeah, nine months ago. <laughs> And you're like, why didn't you tell anybody? And he's like, this actually happened, by the way, one time one of our friends got married super low-key. And we were like, bro. And he was genuinely, he was afraid of Nazar. Like, he was like, I didn't want it. You know, I just did a nikah at the masjid, and that's it. That's a little bit too far on this side. Because why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if, if you invoke his protection, he will protect you. Mu'awalatain, right? Ayatul kursi. Okay, you do your azkar sabah azkar masa, etc. Okay? But we have to admit, we've kind of tipped the scale the other direction where we're like flagrantly flaunting now without any fear, no concern. Really, te- like my mom says, testing people's ability to be patient. Don't do it, okay? If you share some things that are good, that's good. But maybe not multiple times a day, every day for the entire year, okay? If you're eating good, that's good. Take a picture. Let people know. It's cool. Like, you know, hey, try this restaurant, okay? But... Be, be smart. Be smart about it. And some things, like I, like I tell people, maybe it's, just, maybe it's not an Instagram post, maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's a close friends group. Maybe it's a WhatsApp group. Maybe it's not for everyone to see. Maybe it's just for certain people to see. Okay? Become a little bit better keeping your discretion. Okay? Because why? Because we all have the potential to envy and we need each other's help not to be not to be tested. We need each other's help for this, okay? Um, so he says that, if you feel this, if you feel envious, you ready for this? This is hard work, so this is not all, I know we like laugh a lot, but this is real. He goes, if you feel envy and you feel rancor in your heart, anger and envy in your heart, he said, it is better for you to break off your relations and to not hang out with people. Because the only solution for envy is isolation. You have to quarantine. I just triggered everybody. 14 days, right? You have to quarantine. You have to. If you cannot control the heart and the feeling of anger and and displeasure with other people's blessings, and you celebrate at their losses, and you mourn when they win, then you need, to shut, you need to delete Instagram off your phone. You need to delete the app off your phone. You need to stop spending time with people if you can't stop picking on their, the good things that are happening to them. Okay? Because he says isolation is the only thing that softens rancor. You know why? When, you, when you're by yourself after a while, you get lonely. And when you get lonely, what do you say? You're like, I'm not going to be jealous anymore. I just miss my friends. <laughs> I miss my friends. I'm not going to be jealous. Well, I won't be jealous anymore, right? Like after a while, you're like, it doesn't matter if I don't care. I just want to be with people. Okay? So he says, the only thing that softens rancor is isolation. If a person carries in their heart bad feelings towards another person, then their belief is weak. Their whole life is at risk. Their heart is dirty. And they are in a state that is not fit to meet Allah. If they die in that moment, they will not have a good meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah ta'ala to protect us and to forgive us before we meet Him and to clean our slate before we meet Him, okay? Now, what's at stake? What's at stake when we talk about this? We'll end here, okay? What's at stake in these situations? Oh, another thing that I wrote in my notes here on the side, subhanAllah, I have my, my other book here on the side, um, why isolation is good. The scholars say isolation causes you to focus on your own blessings. And so it starts to deflate your, your envy. 
Because envy is what? It's a, it's a disproportionate focus of others' blessings while forgetting your own. So when you're by yourself, you start to really think about your own blessings. And when you, when you recalibrate that percentage, now you're healthy, you can go back out and see people again. But when you're not calibrated, and you go out, and all you think is everyone else has everything and I have nothing, he says, go back in your room. Go back and start to write on a journal. This is actually a very good activity. Write down in a journal. If you ever feel like your life sucks, take a piece of paper and a pen and start writing down everything you have. Tell me if you get past 20 before you're like, okay, I get it. Right? I tell you guys a story about white blood cells. I went to a school, an Islamic school, and they did this activity with third graders. And I was reading, there was a, it was a gratitude journal. And they posted the page that the kids were supposed to write, like a list of 10. And the first thing one of the kids wrote, it was like Pokemon, Xbox, this and this. One of the kids wrote white blood cells. And I thought for a second, like two things. Either this kid is like that kid, you know? <laughs> you know, that, let me tell you who else that kid is. That kid is, teacher, you forgot to collect the homework. Are you collecting it? <laughs> right? May Allah forgive that kid. <laughs> right? But you know why, subhanAllah, I thought it's either that kid or it's like some like pre-med, like super early pre-med track kid, like Doogie Hauser. But you know what, subhanAllah, his cousin had leukemia. And that's the reality, isn't it? We're all, we're living, we're living in veils. Allah just takes one veil and all of a sudden you're like, what, like, You know, two weeks ago, I was with somebody who's not here anymore. Dr. Salman, like, Allah takes one veil. You know, you wake up one morning and you get a message, someone passed away. And he has kids. And everyone's thinking, like, man, I was complaining about my kids yesterday. (laughs) I was complaining that my kids are too loud. What would his kids give to be too loud for their dad again? Like, when we don't see the blessings we have, we become totally disoriented. Right? So he wrote white blood cells. And I asked the teacher, and she said his cousin had leukemia. And so he came up with on his own that I have healthy white blood cells that don't attack my body. And he became like acutely aware of his blessings in that moment because his cousin, who's like the same age, doesn't have that. It's remarkable, right? And this stuff only happens when you're by yourself. Spend time alone every day. When I mean alone, I mean like no devices, none of that stuff. Disconnect, spend time alone, okay? So what's at stake now? What's at stake? Abdurrahman ibn Jubair, he reported that one time what's at stake, what I mean here is that if we don't try to live up to these ethics, if Muslims become people that talk about other people, that cheat, that steal, you know, if, we, if we're not generous, if we don't live up to these prophetic examples, then what happens, okay? Some people might say, oh, it's just character, it's just akhlaq, like, you know, have tawheed, follow the sharia, pick a madhab, pray your salah, and being nice to people, you know, extra credit, right? Imam Ghazali could not disagree with that person anymore. He could not disagree even more than he does, subhanAllah. He's so far away from that. He says that when I was in Yemen, I had a neighbor who was Jewish, and he used to tell me about the Torah, okay? And by the way, when you hear these stories... It's very, it's very interesting because when I was in, when I was in uh, Palestine last week, I met people there that were like, Salaamu Alaikum, Kif Harak, Alhamdulillah Bikhair, Kif Antum, Alhamdulillah, Shukrulillah. And they're like talking back and forth, and I'm like asking, like, you know, where are you going to pray Juma? They're like, I'm Christian. And I'm like, you said Alhamdulillah. Right? They're like, and then if they get upset, they're like, Salli ala nabi I'm like, what? <laughs> which means send prayers on the Prophet. I'm like, which one? For, like, there's, like a, there's like a gap here. Like, I'm not picking up what you're laying down, right? 
what I mean to say is that the cultures are so sometimes like integrated that like stories like this are super normal. Like he's like, yeah, I was a Muslim and I had a neighbor who's Jewish. And like we knew each other's scriptures so well, right? So he said, the Jewish person came to me after their journey and said that God has sent a prophet amongst us. Uh, sorry, the Muslim said to the Jewish man that in your book, God prophesizes that there's going to come a prophet. And guess what? He came and we accepted him. Like, we accepted him. Okay? And the Jewish person says, Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard about that verse. I heard about that prophet. This is long after the prophet soul son passed away, right? So I heard about that prophet. I heard about him. And I, I agree. He's phenomenal, right? Might be. Might be the prophet that God spoke about in our book. The Jewish guy saying this, okay? He says, However, you're, we have not found a Muslim that is carrying out what was described of him. Like, that's the one thing that's holding us back. The Jewish guy is saying that. Like, as a Jewish community, we believe that prophecy is, like, right there, but we just haven't seen his character being displayed for us. We've only read about it in the books. Okay? He says, we find his description and that of his community, not just him, in the Torah. That he does not allow a person to cross his doorstep with hatred in his heart for his Muslim brother. So he says that when, when people see Muslims talking poorly and, and, and bad about each other, it's one of the things that tears away at the very integrity of their belief in this faith. And I see this when I talk to people and they say that, why are Muslims always fighting? Why are Muslims always fighting? They'll say this and they'll say, is Islam really true? Why are Muslims always fighting? Why are they disagreeing with each other? And the answer is like, it's unfortunately part of our deficiency as humans is that we fight. But don't attribute that to Islam. But there's no doubt that that, that rancor that Muslims show to each other, it tests our ability to believe. Because we hear stories of the Sahaba and how, like, how close-knit they were. Even when they disagreed, they were close. And we sometimes yearn to see that example. We yearn to see that because it reinforces that this faith is true. Right? So when we display bad character, we have to understand that we're testing people's ability to believe in the message that they know and they heard is perfect, but they want to see it lived. Right? There is a difference when you learn physics from a textbook versus when you guys did the experiments in the classroom. When you saw the physics experiment before you, you're like, wow, I actually believe in that law of physics now. Versus when you read about it in the textbook. Okay? So he said uh, that this is what's at stake. Okay? Um, and then I'll finish with this last bit. He says that one of the things which Allah allows, in which a person can lie. Alright, you guys ready? Concession alert. Okay? Part of the matter is keeping quiet and not divulging your brother or sister's secret, which they have entrusted you. You should deny knowledge of it, even if this means lying. This is Imam Ghazali. Even if it means lying. For speaking the truth is not incumbent in every circumstance. Okay, what does this mean? This doesn't mean that you can just lie now casually. Okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> no, you're not. All right? <laughs> just left. No, you didn't. What this means is, if there is something that's sensitive and somebody asks and, it's, and they're not in the right place to ask, but you have to answer now, you are allowed, in order to protect the person that they're asking about, you are allowed to just take that conversation in a different direction. Because sometimes if you, if, you, if you deny answering, it also gives the answer. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, how's their marriage? You're like, let's not talk about it. <laughs> it's like, you just talked about it, dummy. Like, how's their marriage? Great, awesome. Even though you know, like it's not. But it's not the person who's asking, it's not their business, right? So in that moment, Islam allows you to protect the honor of that, those two people, that you're allowed 
to sort of be like, it's great. Right? Just like when you, you know, when you come in from a, a, when you land from an international trip and you're at immigration. You bring anything to declare? Nope. Huh? What does that mean? Right? Some of you, it's like, have you been around any farm, you know, livestock? You're like, nope. Even though you definitely have, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those things. You just answer quickly and you divert the question. You're like, no, yeah, yeah, no. Just to protect that person's honor. So he says, just as it is permitted for a person to hide their own faults and secrets, even if they need to lie, meaning if somebody asks you like, hey, have you ever done this sin before? And you made Toba, you're like, I don't even know what that is. What is that? Right? Just to kind of, again, you're allowed to protect your honor. You're also allowed to protect the honor of your brother or sister. Okay? Because he says, for the brother or sister stands in their own shoes and they stand in your shoes, the only thing different between you is your body. Meaning you have to think about what they would do in their situation. This is the true nature of brotherhood. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ, he said, that if a person comes up to you and they talk to you, but before they talk, they do this, he says, you need to protect their honor. That means that they're telling you something that's sensitive. Al-majalisu bil-amana. The Prophet ﷺ said, Gatherings are a trust. If somebody tells you something, it's a trust, especially if they show that they are concerned about it. Okay? I'm just trying to see if there's anything else that I'm forgetting. I don't think so. Oh, last one. Okay, sorry, I have to do this. Oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. How many of you guys have a best friend? This is sad. Okay, thank you. Okay, you guys have close friends? Okay. Why are you close friends? We have Salon, eight minutes, so I gotta finish quickly in a minute. Why are you close friends? Why are you best friends? Share the same interests? Okay, what else? Huh? Since childhood you grew up together? Okay. Huh? Same same values, yeah, Hannah? Fun to be around, okay. They're loyal. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah? No one? They're honest. Okay, yes. Same experiences. Okay, yeah. Anyone else? They've helped you a lot. Yeah? You've been through some stuff together. Okay. That's kind of where I'm going. Have you guys ever fought with your best friend? All right, relax, everyone. I don't know if your best friends with that reaction, right? This might be a one sided thing, right? So you fought before, yeah? Yes or no? At any point, yeah? She hated you. Oh, and now you're here together. MashaAllah. See? Roots. All right? Donate today, okay? Enemies turn into friends. Allah Ta'ala, He describes believers like that, by the way. He said, in your heart you had animosity for each other and now you became brothers. All right? There's a verse in the Quran, all right? Uh, it's one of the powerful things about Islam, subhanAllah. You know what's crazy? Imam Ghazali says here, he says, Athawri, Sufyan Athawri, he says, if you want to be really good friends with somebody, he says, make them angry. Make them angry. And then, when they're angry, and they leave you, and they're upset, he said, <laughs> ask someone to go and ask them about you when they're angry. So basically, like, really make them upset, then be like, hey, go and ask them if they like me or not. <laughs> and he says that in that moment, if they still speak well of you, even though they're really upset with you, then Sufyan said, take them as your friend. They're a good friend. It's that loyalty, right? See, all of this goes back to the same point, which is essentially Imam Ghazali saying one of the traits of good friendship is that the person can control their tongue. The damage that the tongue does is very difficult to repair. There's a poem in Arabic where the poet says that the, the, the damage of the knife and the arrow heals. Like broken bones will heal, 
damaged skin will scab over and the wound will heal. But he said, the tongue, the wounds that are caused by the tongue, they don't heal. And it's the, it really is the case. Because the memory that you have of that moment is so deep that sometimes it hangs on to it. Even after apologies, it's kind of difficult sometimes. And maybe you forgave them, but then something comes up and you start to double, you second guess yourself, right? So Imam Ghazali says that if a person really wants to be a good friend, if you want to be a good friend, then make sure that under no circumstances, not even when you're really upset with somebody, do you ever say something that can be hurtful or damaging to that person's honor, right? Even when you're upset with them, say good about them. And if you have nothing good to say, then just smile, right? And then Imam Ghazali says, if this person can do that, then you can be friends with them. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us good friends. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to control our tongues and to make us people that only say good about others and that we try our best to hold back from if we've said something bad. A lot of people have asked me this question, what happens if I said bad things about people? Uh, there's two routes. Number one is that you go and ask their forgiveness, which is, which is the dominant opinion that you should go and ask their forgiveness because Allah Ta'ala, He forgives everything, but He, even though He can forgive everything, He, del- he, he uh, what's the word? Tafweed. What's tafweed? He relegates. He relegates that permission to forgive to the person that was spoken about. You get my point? So He'll forgive, but He's like, this person has a right. It's their haqq. Okay, now the scholars say, well, what if asking for forgiveness like ruins your relationship? Like they don't know, and you're like, hey, and you don't want to, and you don't want to destroy the relationship. So the scholars say, well, the the maqsad of this whole exercise is to preserve the relationship. So if you go and you tell them, like, hey, I said some really horrible things about you, and you know that that's going to ruin the relationship, then the ulama say, then the way that you fix that, what you said is you go back to each person that you said the bad thing to, and you correct it, and for every one thing you said bad, you say something now that's good. So if I spoke poorly about somebody to somebody else, I have to go to that person and say, hey, I was backbiting about that person, I want you to know that what I told you was not accurate, I was upset, I was being stupid, and in fact, this person, what I said about them, it was not accurate, in fact, they're like amazing at this. So you fix it. And what does this do? It fixes the backbiting and it also protects your relationship from being shattered by you exposing to them what you had done. Okay? So I know a lot of people have that question. So I wanted to give that answer now. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make things easy on us. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Barakallahu feekum everybody.